Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so excited that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. Our goal here is to be a church that glorifies God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all people. And our prayer is that if you are not connected to a Bible-believing church, that you would come and be with us here at First. But if you are, we don't want this to be any kind of substitute. We want you to be actively involved in the ministry of your church. But we are so happy that you are with us and we pray that God will use his word to change your life for the glory of God. If you have a Bible, go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter three. Uh, we'll start in verse one here in just a second. This is not exactly part of the Shabbat Shalom series, but it's kind of uh, a corollary to it. And so I think, I think it'll be, uh, I hope it'll be an encouragement uh, to you as well as you go through that uh, season of thinking about rest and peace. And uh, we're gonna be in Ecclesiastes 3. We're gonna start with verse one and go down through verse nine in preparation for our study. And what we're gonna look at this morning is that time and eternity are meaningless without Jesus. Time and eternity are meaningless without Jesus. And if you would do this real quick before you get settled too much, would you stand to your feet out of reverence for reading the words of God? We're gonna start, like I said, in verse one and go down through verse nine. Solomon wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain? has the worker from his toil. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Uh, this, this poem is about, uh, as we, we talked about how this is uh, the fact that time and eternity are meaningless, meaningless without Jesus. The first thing that we see in this poem isn't what people actually think that we see in the poem, and that is the meaninglessness of life outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first thing we see here is just the meaninglessness of this broken world. What's interesting about this poem, and some of you may know this if you're a little bit older in the room, is that God actually wrote a pop song that was popular on the, on the charts because in the late 50s, early 60s, a group called uh, Pete Seeger and the Birds, uh, he wrote a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. And it literally is the poem that we just read. Pete Seeger says that, that in that song, six of the words that he wrote are his words. Everything else is Solomon. Everything else is from God. And so you may have heard that song. You can go home today and ask Alexa to play it. It's just a time for this, a time for that, a time for that. And so it's just really this, this poppy song that's, that's been popular and has you know, been uh, well-known down through the ages. In fact, uh, Pete Seeger, because he realized that most of the words of that song come from the Bible, sins, this, I, I read this online, okay, so it has to be true. Um, they, he sends royalties that he gets from that song to like the Israeli Defense Department uh, as like a thank you, recognizing those, those were, a Hebrew, that's a Hebrew poem, that's not my poem. And so he sends that, that check there. And what 
what that song does though for many people is they take comfort from that song because they think that the meaning of the song is something like, even if you're going through bad times right now, good times are coming around the bend. So the, the idea is this too shall pass, okay? So you may be in a bad season right now, but a good season is coming. And so just hold on, good season's going to be here pretty soon. And they, they derive comfort from that. But that's not what Solomon's doing here in Ecclesiastes chapter three. That's not the point that he's making with this poem. A song about time that would be more accurate to what Solomon is trying to do is uh, Hootie and the Blowfish's song, Time. And in that song, he's, he's singing, Time, why do you punish me? Okay, that, that time brings sadness, that time brings sorrow. And that's the point that Solomon is communicating here is that, that if this cursed world is all that there is, then, then all of these seasons that you're going through are really pointless, okay? Now, we, we know that, that it's a negative interpretation to the poem because of verse nine. The, the evaluation of the poem there in verse nine, what gain has the worker from his toil, is a direct repeat of what Solomon said in chapter one, verse three, and the answer is nothing. There's no gain, there's, there's no profit, Okay, what Solomon is trying to do in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes is he's, he's kind of meditating on if this cursed world is all there is, if there is no God, if you don't have a relationship with God, if there is no eternity, this life is all there is, then, then really there's no purpose and there's no meaning. That, that life without God, life without uh, some kind of eternal plan that God has is, is meaningless, it's, it's purposeless. And so he's, he's trying to drive us to that conclusion, and he's, he's doing it by saying, listen, take account of all the things that happen in your life, all the seasons that you go through, and tell me what the net gain is, and the answer is zero. Now, it, it, I'm not like a math major or anything, but if you, if you work through the poem there in verses one through eight, what you have is 14 pluses and 14 minuses. What does that equal? Zero, like even the new math people got that one right. So it's like 14 plus, 14 minus, it equals zero. There, there, is no, there is no net gain, right? You plant a tomato garden, but eventually you have to pull it up and it, you don't have the tomato garden anymore. You, you're born, but then eventually you die, okay? You, you, you party, but then you weep. And so it's just like, there is no net gain here. Everything is canceling itself out. And that's his whole point is east of the Garden of Eden, like outside of paradise, now that human beings have rebelled against their creator and now we live in this broken, hurting world, if that's all that there is, then nothing that you do matters. Nothing that you do is going to bring you any profit or any gain. That's what he's, he's getting after. Uh, I, I just like one of the examples from the poem that, that I saw in my own life was when I was a teenager, uh, my parents uh, raised Great Danes, okay? So we had, I didn't raise them. They had, we had two Great Danes at different times in my life as pets. And so one of them, the, the second one that my parents bought was Samantha, okay? This big old Great Dane, sweet dog, loved that dog. But that dog was kind of, you know, a headache and a problem at times because Samantha, one time what she did was she ate a pair of my mom's pantyhose, okay? They wrapped around her intestines and she got 
so sick she was about to die. And so they had to like do surgery on her to remove the pantyhose from her intestines so that she didn't die, okay? And then uh, we went out of town on vacation one time. And so we put Sam in a kennel and she got doggy pneumonia, which is like a thing, okay? Didn't know that. And they had to put her in, she got so sick, she's about to die. They had to put her at the vet's office in a doggy oxygen tent to like nurse her back to health. And my dad was saying, listen, if you had told me when I was 20 years old that there's gonna come a point in your life where you're gonna spend over $10,000 trying to nurse a dog back to health, I would have told you you were crazy. Ain't no way I'm spending that amount of money on a dog. But guess what? They love the dog. And so they spent $10,000 on two different occasions like nursing her back to health. And then guess what happened? When she was about 10 or 11, uh, she got to the point where great Danes are these big old dogs. And so they start to have trouble with their hips and, and joints and legs. And she got to the point where she couldn't even hold herself up anymore. She couldn't go to the bathroom on her own. And so my parents who had loved this dog, spent a decade with this dog, nursed the dog back to health, had to then bring a vet into the house to have the dog put to sleep. And they're like, they're like, they, they, they're, uh, they're like feeding her all the stuff that she loves but not supposed to eat. Like they're just like giving her chocolate and stuff. And she was weir really weird. She liked to eat tissue paper. And so they're just like giving her tissue paper. She's eating tissue paper. She's eating chocolate. My parents are bawling their eyes out, right? And the vet comes in and, and, and puts her to sleep. All of that, all of that effort that they put into this dog and the net gain was exactly what they were trying to avoid happen, happened. And that's Solomon's whole point here is that there is no net gain. If this life is all that there is, if, you, if there is no relationship with God, then, then nothing that you do really matters at all. Uh, one of the uh, great illustrations, I think, of what is happening here in Ecclesiastes, what Solomon's trying to communicate is a, a movie from the, I think it was the early 90s, a masterpiece called Groundhog Day. Um, and um, why are y'all laughing? That's a great movie. Um, but in that movie, Bill Murray's character plays this guy, Phil, who's a weatherman and is sent to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for the Groundhog Day Festival on February the 2nd, okay? He hates it, doesn't wanna go to Punxsutawney, but he, he has to go. And then what happens in the movie, if you haven't seen it, is he wakes up the next day and it's still February 2nd, okay? And every day he wakes up, he's repeating the same day over and over and over again. Now, people have analyzed the film, pe uh, people who have way too much time on their hands have analyzed the film and estimated that he lived the same day for 34 straight years, okay? So 34 years, wakes up, it's February 2nd, over and over again, and like, what would you do? Like, you go crazy, how do you, how do you cope with that? Well, he, like Solomon does in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon like looks to all these different things to try to find meaning or to find, try to find distraction, and that's what, that's what Bill Murray does in this thing. So he turns to gluttony, right? And there's this scene where he's, he's in the diner. He's got an entire table full of just like cake and donuts and stuff. And he's just cramming his face. And, and the girl's like, do you not worry about cholesterol? He's like, no, I don't worry about anything anymore. You know, he's just like, he's just, and that, but the gluttony that eventually that doesn't satisfy. And so what does he do next? He turns to 
to pleasure. He turns to money. He turns to education. All these, these different things, trying to find distraction, trying to cope with what's happening. Eventually, none of that works. He starts to kill himself over and over and over again, wakes back up again, and just is living this same day. And there's this really poignant scene where he's in a a bowling alley type area and he's at the bar and he's sitting next to these two drunk guys at the bar and he's, he's like asking them advice. He's like, he says, now what would you do if every day was the same and you always woke up in the same place and nothing you did really mattered and what would you do? And he said, the, the, the two drunk guys look at each other and kind of hang their heads and go, yeah, that about sums it up for me. And the, the, the recognition is that these guys are living the same existence. They're living the same day over and over again. It's just, for them, it's a different day, but it's the same. Everything ends up the same. And that's what Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes. He's saying, listen, if this cursed world is all there is, and everything's meaningless, it's redundant. You're, you're stuck in this rut of going through the motions, but no matter what you do, it doesn't really make a difference because guess what? You did a great job taking care of the dishes yesterday. What are you gonna have today? More dishes. You, you, you did all the laundry, got it folded, put away. What are you gonna have today? More dirty clothes, more emails, more bills, more things on the, the schedule. Like, like nothing really matters and you're stuck in this rut. And so people are like, man, I've got, there's gotta be more than this. There's gotta be meaning, there's gotta be purpose. And they're trying to find ways to cope and they're, they're trying to find ways to distract themselves. And so people turn to all kinds of things. It's pleasure or relationships or work, career, all these different things. And then, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't satisfy. There's people who are thinking to themselves. You know, um, it's it's got to it's got to get better, right? It's just it's got to get better. And so young people are thinking. You know, when I get into college, I'm gonna really be happy because that's gonna I'm gonna have freedom and I'm and I'm gonna have you know my own responsibility and I, the college is gonna be when I'm really happy. You get into college, you enjoy it for a little while, and then you're like, okay, there's got to be more than this. I can't wait till I get out of college and start my career. That's when things are really gonna be great. Or when I get married, that's when things are really gonna be awesome. When we start having kids, you know, you get married and then it's like, well, now now we gotta have kids. That's gonna really make us happy. And then you have all of those things that you thought were gonna make you happy. You've got the marriage, you've got the family, you've got the career, you've got the house. And then you're like, there's got to be, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be something that's going to make us happy. And then you go, you know, through a midlife crisis, start wearing skinny jeans or like really white sneakers, you know, um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but you just, you keep thinking that, that the change that's going to make me happy is out there in the distance and it's, it's going to happen, but everything ends up the same and the things that you thought at one time in your life, maybe you even prayed to God for, God, please give me this and he's given it to you. Now you take it for granted or you're frustrated by it. And this is, this is time as a frustration, right? We, we get this as, as parents, we, we understand this, that, that we think time is moving way too fast, right? I remember when we, we first started having um, kids and we had Maddie, He's going to um, turn 16 in a couple of weeks and get her license. It was crazy. Um, people said, as a parent, the days will be long and the years will be short. And that's true. You, like the day can feel really long and you're tired and you're worn out. But then you look back and you're like, I, I, I feel like it was last Christmas that we bought 
Maddie a Barbie Jeep to play, you know, to play with. And now she's getting a car. And it's like, where did the time go? And for people who are younger, they think time's moving way too slow. And they're like, when's my time going to come? When is that change going to come that, that really makes me happy? And we get stuck in this rut and everything, you know, there just doesn't really seem to be any point to it all. And what happens here in Ecclesiastes, again, mirrors the message that you find in that movie Groundhog Day. Um, because after he's tried all these things, just Solomon does the same thing. After he's tried all these things, and nothing satisfies and nothing's meaningful. What happens in that movie is it's not until Bill Murray's character becomes content with his present circumstance that the curse is lifted and he gets to February the 3rd. And so at the, at the end of that movie, on the, the last day that he's reliving Groundhog Day, he looks at this, the lady that he's fallen in love with and he, he says, I don't know what tomorrow holds but I know that I'm happy right now. That when he becomes content and satisfied with and, and finds joy in the present, then he's ready, he's ready for what comes next. And Solomon is telling us the exact same thing. Like uh, we, just, we just sang the, these lyrics in Great Is Thy Faithfulness, but, but strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. There's that two ways. He, he's saying, look, life's gonna be meaningless unless you have a relationship with the eternal God, and then guess what that's gonna do? That's gonna give you purpose right now, and that's gonna give you a hope for the future. And that's what Solomon is pointing us to. So time and eternity are meaningless unless you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, then you have, the second thing we see in this text is eternity. You have an eternal plan that God has for your life. Look, look what he says there in verse 10 and 11. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end, okay? What, he, what, he's, what he's doing here in Ecclesiastes, again, as he's meditating, it's kind of like he's meditating on uh, the fall of humanity into sin. It's just one long extended uh, you know, meditation on that. And he's just like, hey, listen, uh, if, if this cursed life is all there is, then everything you do is pointless and then you die. Aren't you glad you came to church for such an uplifting, you know, <laughs> message? But he's, he's pointing out that there's a reason why God lets you feel that frustration. There's a reason why God lets you feel that pointlessness. And it's because he's trying to drive you to him. Like when humanity sinned in the Garden of Eden, God then imposed a curse. He imposed a burden on the world. And part of the, it's basically like God was saying, hey, listen, uh, guys, you think that you wanna live based on your own wisdom and not based on my wisdom? Well, have at it. And let's see how it goes for you. And then, you know, you realize it doesn't go real well. And so he, he lets you make that mistake and feel that frustration so that it will drive you back to him and to a relationship with him. That's what he's trying to do. And so this, this frustration that we feel in time is meant to drive us to the eternal God. It's meant to drive us to Jesus. Now, verse 11 is a very popular verse, one of the most popular verses in the entire uh, book of Ecclesiastes. And it's because of the, the whole line about God has put eternity into man's heart. Uh, 
but it actually is a very difficult verse to kind of break apart. So let me just, there's kind of three sections to it. Let me just break it apart uh, really quickly. The first is he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now that word beautiful in the ESV uh, can literally be translated from the Hebrew just appropriate. God has made everything appropriate in its time. What he's, he's referencing the poem, okay, that all of these different things, and what he means by that, by appropriate, is that all of this is part of God's plan, okay? That, that there is this plan that God's working out and all these different seasons of good times and bad times and, and things going well and things going bad and birth and death and war and peace and all these things are, are part of God's plan that he's working out. The second uh, phrase there is this, he's put eternity into uh, man's heart. So what he's saying is, listen, every person on the planet, whether or not they believe in God or they say that they're an atheist, every person on the planet knows that there's more than just this cursed life. Okay, like deep down, they know that there's something bigger than what they see going on, okay? And so everybody, every single person in their heart knows that there is an eternity, all right? God has, God has put that in them. But here's the, here's the frustration again. He cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So he's saying, listen, everybody knows there's more, but humanity cannot handle or fully grasp everything that God is doing. We, we can't understand it. We can't, we can't see it. We're, we are creatures who are looking to the creator for answers and we can only get a sliver of it. It's kind of like one preacher said, it's kind of, we're kind of like children in the why stage. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you have children and everything that you tell them, the, the response is, well, why? And then you try to explain and then, well, why? And try to explain and why. And then you finally get frustrated and you say, what to your kids? Because I said so, right? And yesterday, my, my son and one of his buddies were, were hanging out and they said, you, you always say because I said so, but that's not a reason. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, buddy, what, what's happening is there is a reason and it's a really good reason but I can't really fully explain it to you. And so just hush and trust me. And that's kind of what God's saying to us is that, hey, listen, you can't see the full picture and the full plan of what I'm doing, but you do know this, I'm good, I love you. I'm all powerful and I do have a purpose here. I, there is something that I'm doing, even if you can't see all of it. It's kind of like, like, it's kind of like thinking about a series of movies, right, that, that is telling one overarching story. Uh, Avengers, a little bit better than like Star Wars, okay, because the last three films of Star Wars are just, I mean, complete garbage. But um, the, uh, the, like the Avengers is like, there's like a plan that they were, that they're, you know, this, this overarching plan. But if you only saw like one of the movies, then you wouldn't really understand the plan. Like I, I try to think, when I think of like a series of movies, I think of masterpieces like, you know, like Rocky and Rambo, you know, those like really good ones. Um, and so like, if you, if you watch just like one Rocky film, like you watch just Rocky one, okay. The one that won best picture and all this stuff. And you, you just watch that film. And at the end of the film, you know, Rocky's fought Apollo Creed and they're, they call it a tie and they're embracing in the middle of the ring. And Apollo Creed says, there's not going to be a rematch. I don't want one. If that's all that you watched and you'd be like, okay, they fought, it was a tie, that's the end of it. But you would miss out on, well, no, they fight again 
and then they become best friends, and then Apollo Creed dies, and Rocky has to fight to avenge his death, you know, by de defeating the Russian. Like, there's this whole story, and you're seeing one piece of the story, but you're not seeing the full picture. And that's what God is saying is like, I've got this full masterpiece that I'm painting, and you're, you're like right up close to it, and you can see a little bit of it, but you don't have the vantage point or the perspective that I have to see the full picture. And so trust me, trust me, like, like, like realize I've got this. This is again, meant to drive us to him. The frustration of this life and this knowledge that there's this big plan, this big picture going on, and I can't see or handle all of it is meant to drive you to him, to, to trust in him. Augustine said it uh, this way, that, that you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That that's what we're called to do. And so how can you, trust that God is good? How can you trust that he's loving and that his plan is going to work out and that even he can take even the, the sad things and turn them to good? You can trust that because of Jesus, you know, that, that in the fullness of time, talking about uh, time here, in the fullness of time, the Bible says, God set a time to send his son to go through this entire human existence that we go through. Jesus is born. He heals people who are blind and who are deaf. He builds up the kingdom of God. He tears down the religious structures of the day. He parties with those who are sinners. He weeps with those who are weeping. And then he dies on the cross and he takes the curse of sin, this whole frustration, this existence that we're living in. And he says, put all of that on me and I'm gonna die and I'm gonna come back to life again. I'm gonna push the curse of death back. And if anybody will put their faith and trust in me, one day I'm gonna wipe away every tear from your eyes. And so because that's true, you can trust that God has this and that he's working out this eternal plan and that even the sad pieces of your life and the frustrating pieces of your life are part of this big picture that he is painting. And that leads to the last thing that we see in this passage, and that's time itself. Once we recognize this eternal plan that God has that he's working out, now all of a sudden our present is shot through with meaning and with purpose because of this eternal plan that God has. Listen to what he says there in verse 12. He says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So he says, here's the conclusion. Here's what you need to do. Once you have that relationship with the eternal God, here's what you need to do. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. This is what scholars call a carpe diem passage, like the seize the day. There's like six of these in the book of Ecclesiastes, where over and over again, he's, he's meditating on the brokenness of the world. And then he says, but here's what you need to do. You need to live it up. Enjoy life. Be grateful for the things you have. Don't take them for granted. You really need to enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Okay, that's what he, that's what he calls us to do. And there's two ways, like, uh, there's two ways that he does this. He's saying, again, those who have a relationship with the eternal God are the only ones who can really find meaning and purpose in the present and know that what you're doing and those little things, the little details of your life make sense. And so there's two ways that he tries to drive us to this, to these, to these carpe diem, you seize the day, drink deeply of life. Like there's two ways that he does that in the book of Ecclesiastes. One is the fleeting nature of life. And two 
is the eternal plan of God. Okay, the fleeting nature of life and the eternal plan of God. And so one of the things that he does is he's saying, look, life is a vapor, it's a mist, it's, it's, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And you need to take that to heart. You need to like meditate on that uh, and take that to heart because that's gonna help you enjoy the life that you're living right now. Listen to what he says here in Ecclesiastes 7, verse two. This is interesting advice. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. So he says, it's better to go to a funeral than a party. And the reason why it's better to go to a funeral than a party is because if you just are constantly partying, you're distracting yourself from the fleeting nature of life. But at a funeral, when you are confronted with death and with the fact that life is precious and it's a gift and it's, it, it's quick, then it's gonna actually make you grateful for the things that you have and it's gonna cause you to live, live life to the fullest. I remember um, the church that I pastored in Louisville, Kentucky, the first church I pastored, uh, I started in there, I was like 24 years old. And there was this couple that uh, had come to the church, TJ and Katie. Uh, they were married and they had one child and she was pregnant with their second and they, and they came to the church. And I uh, led Katie to faith in Jesus, baptized her. Uh, we had a, a good relationship with that couple. And then so they had their second child. And then a couple years later, they, she's pregnant with their third child. And on a Sunday morning, at about 4.40, I get a text from my associate pastor, which is never, never good news. You get a text at 4.40 in the morning. I was up getting ready for services that morning, and he said, I need you to call me. And so I, I called him, and he said, um, last night, Katie had a brain aneurysm, and so she's in the ICU hospital downtown, hooked up to life support. Uh, they're trying to keep her alive long enough for the baby to get to viability so they can deliver the baby and save the baby's life. And uh, I said, okay, as soon as I get done with services in the morning, I'll, I'll be down there. And so I wrapped up services, head down to the hospital. When I walk into the waiting room of the ICU, first person I see is TJ's mom and she screams at me. Um, she says, no. There is no God if this is happening. And I, I mean, I don't give her a, you know, a theology lesson. I just hugged her and just, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so then I, I go back, they let me go back to, to visit with TJ. And what's happened in the, in the meantime between five and about one when I got down there is the baby, because of the trauma, they had to deliver the baby. And the baby lived about 30 minutes and then died. And so I walk into this room. There's like two rooms, like a curtain. And so in one room, mom's hooked up to life support. In the other room, dad is holding his, his baby. So I, you know, I, I don't even know what I said. I just go in there, hugged him, prayed with him. Uh, I held the baby. And then they said, um, would you go with us next door? Because we're gonna, we want you to pray over her before we unplug her, you know, unplug her from life support. So I did. And, um, she, within a minute she passed. And, um, one of the, hard, the hardest thing I've ever done in ministry was a couple days later doing a funeral with a mom laying in the casket and the baby on her chest. 
And, but I can, I can tell you this, when I, when I got home from the hospital that night, I grabbed my wife and my girls and hugged them and loved on them and was grateful for them in a way that I had not been 24 hours before. And, and coming face to face with like, this can be gone in an instant is, is, is really a great way to stop taking for granted the gifts and the blessings that God has given you. So Solomon says, take it to heart. Like it's better to go to a place where there's mourning than to a place where there's feasting because this is, this is one of the ways that you can stop taking for granted the things that you have in your life and really like, again, drink deeply of life. Like eat, he says, eat, drink, enjoy your work, work hard, play hard, spend time with your family, forgive quickly, don't hold grudges. Like enjoy the life that God has given you because it's, it's quick, it's quick. And then he says, also you, you enjoy it and you find meaning in it because it's part of God's eternal plan, right? The New Testament tells us, as Paul says in Romans 8, listen, the good, the bad that's happening to you, God mixes this all together. It's part of his plan that he's working out to make you more like Jesus. And it doesn't matter what it is, like famine, sword, peril, sickness, death, life, nothing's gonna separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so there's this plan that he's, he's working out and you probably can't see it all and you probably couldn't handle it all, even if you could. And there's confusion and there's misunderstanding and there's like, man, I really wish I knew more. And God, why, why is this happening? And God, God says to us in his word, he, he whispers to us, he says, listen, you're, you're too close, but I've got this. I've got it. And so just trust me, believe that I'm good, believe that I love you, believe that I want what's best for you. And so I've got this. I've got the whole world in my hand. I've got you in my hand. And so all of these little pieces of your life, he's, he's weaving these things together to create this masterpiece. And so uh, enjoy your life. Be thankful for what God has given you because you're gonna be restless and you're not gonna find any real meaning, purpose, satisfaction, contentment, joy until you find those things in your relationship with Jesus Christ and the gifts and blessings that he's given to you. And so the final conclusion in Ecclesiastes is again, what we just saying in Great Is Thy Faithfulness, turn to Jesus because he gives you strength for now and he's given you a hope for the future. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna stand and, and sing and worship the Lord in response to his word. And I just wanna challenge you, whoever's in the room or watching online, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can tell you this, if you're frustrated, if you feel the brokenness of this world, if you feel like your life is broken, you're like, man, there's gotta be more than this. If, if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I just wanna, I wanna challenge you. Don't leave here today. Don't log off the computer without talking to somebody about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and that it's, that's gonna give you new purpose, new meaning, new start, 
uh, it, it's a game changer, like all the difference in the world. And so if that's you, if you need to give your life to Jesus, then I wanna challenge you to do that today. Um, if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, then maybe, maybe this text is kind of hitting you between the eyes of like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not enjoying life right now like I should, and I'm not thankful for the gifts that God has given me like I should. And there are things in my life that, that at one point I was desperate to have them, and now I do, and I take them for granted. And so if that's you, I, I just want, I want to challenge you that this is a time for you to pray. This is a time for you to repent. This is a time for you just to confess, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm taking these things for granted now. Help me to trust that this is part of your plan. Help me to, to live life with joy and, and, and gratitude and thanksgiving because of all that you've done for me, especially what you've done for me in Christ. And so whatever it is that God's laying on your heart, whatever way you feel convicted or encouraged to do something, then I just wanna challenge you. This is the time to confess those things to the Lord. This is the time to make commitments. This is the time to make decisions. And so I pray that you will that you'll listen to the voice of the Spirit as he speaks to you and that you'll do what the Lord through his word is, is nudging you to do. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I am so thankful for Christ and for what he has done because in Christ, we get to look to you and to know you're good, you love us, you have a plan and that you are working in the world to make the sad things come untrue. And so Father, help us, help us to believe that, to have confidence in that. And Lord, help that to motivate us to, to live every piece of the, the nook and cranny of our lives, the, the things that, that we think are mundane, help, help us to see how those have meaning and purpose because of our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we just, we just ask that you would help us, that, that we would not be stuck in a restless loop trying to find meaning, that we would find our rest in you and find meaning for today and for eternity. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.